Comic Book Club News gives you the comic book news you need to know first thing in the morning every weekday in the form of digestible three to five minute long podcasts. Comic Book Club News recaps breaking news stories from Marvel, DC Comics, and beyond Monday through Friday. New episodes drop 6 a.m. ET in the Comic Book Club News feed so they're ready for you when you're ready for the day. Comic Book Club News. You hear it second or third, possibly fourth. What's up, everybody? Welcome to The Stack. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. I'm Pete. What's up? And what's up on The Stack? I'll tell you what's up. <laughs> we review a bunch of comics, and there's some big do ones. We? we do. A lot of them. And yeah. there's some big ones that came out this week. Let's kick we it off with one of the ones. big ones. we got some number we ones. As we always talk about big ones, here's the first big one of the week. The Avengers, number one, from Marvel, written by Jed McKay, art by C.F. Villa. After a phenomenal, super long, long run from Jason Aaron and various artists, we're now getting a new take on the Avengers, led by Captain Marvel, with a new mission that is going to kick off some big things for the Marvel Universe. How'd you feel about this book? I'm a big Jed McKay fan. I've loved his work on Black Cat and sort of that ever-expanding Black Cat universe. So I was very excited to uh, see Jed McKay's take on the Avengers, and we get a classic Assembling the Avengers uh, first issue. Now, it felt very boilerplate for a lot of it. I like the way that it was handled. I like Jed's writing. The the dialogue is always very good in Jed's books. And uh, bringing in the artist also from the Black Cat world, C.F. Villa, very cool. The real twist and interesting part happens at the end where we get a little bit of a sort of direction as to what the series is going to be. And I am here for it. I'm a fan. I agree. I thought this was a, a solid first issue. It was cool to see, um, you know, Cap put this team together. And I mean, Captain Marvel, there was a fun Cap, Cap, Cap moment. Um, cap, Cap, Cap. And the comic, no cap, all cap, yeah, yeah make way all, for caps. No, no cap. This caps was for sale. Uh, a bunch of caps uh, having fun here, but yeah, I thought this was really a fun setup, kind of bringing things together. I'm excited to see uh, what this team can do, and I'm I, I like uh, this 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 assembled team here. This is uh, uh, a fun group, and uh, I'm excited to see Wahapis. I think I'm on the same page as you, Justin. Uh, Pete, I also enjoyed it, generally speaking, and I like this team, but it definitely felt like the classic, we're getting the band together, and we're going to have some wild twists here, like Black Panther is going to be on the team, and Thor is going to be on the team. And I was like, okay, this is is fine. This is good. I'm uh, great. I like all these guys. And I did like the villain. They fight this guy, Terminus, who uh, mostly was an Alpha Flight villain back in the day. To be honest, I didn't realize he had a mouth until this issue. I always thought he was just one of those like, like anti-bottom girl guys, yeah, yeah. Um, so that was a big reveal of the issue. Um, but overall, like it was a it was a fun start. It didn't feel like the and here we go the bold new take on the Avengers so much as I don't know. Maybe the take was Jason Aaron has been doing wildly insane stuff for five years at this point. Yeah, let's, let's just, just get back a, to basics yeah. Avengers. Yeah, well, let's kind of I, have a, a just like it. It'll get crazy, I'm sure, at some point. But let's just kind of have a number one that's like just kind of assembling a team here. I, I love yeah. it. 
Felton We've been running around the like playground. Number zero to me. Oh, go wow. f yourself with that. Thank you for saying F. Uh, we've been running around the playground screaming and yelling, doing whatever we want. And this is yeah. like a, hey, guys, let's come sit. We're going to talk about Avengers. Uh, and, of course, though, we got the big Terminus mouth reveal that we just established. Hashtag Terminus Jeez. mouth reveal. Uh, <laughs> but I do think it is a little bit of like sort of getting us back into a table setting place. I wish there was a little bit more of a couple curveballs on this Avengers team. Mm-hmm. Give me a weird character drop. Like, who's your... If you were putting together your Avengers team, who would be your weird character drop Ooh, on the Avengers? Weird character drop on the Avengers. That's a good question. I because there's think, all, a lot of runs have one or two where it's like, remember, I, I, you're an Avenger. I kind of understand why you did, did it, do it, because it would make no sense, probably. Although it's comics, so whatever. But there's a part of me that wishes Jed McKay threw Black Cat on here. Just as like hell yes, that's right? a great answer. It's like a rogue element that he really knows, being like, "What black cat on the Avengers?" That doesn't make any sense. And then they would make it work. As it is, all of these choices that Carol's making, which is like, "I'm going to really shake up the lineup." First off, I want Iron Man. <laughs> it's like, yeah. yeah, all right, he's sitting right next to you. That's cool. I'm, yeah, he I'm was there we when you were just talking about it. <laughs> right. I got to have Vision and Scarlet Witch. And I was like, great. This is this is great. This well, is great. it's like if we're like, all right, I'm putting together a brand new comic book club. I'm going to go with some curveballs. Pete, for sure. Alex, deaf. Let's go. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, yeah, cool. <laughs> Seems pretty chill. I guess that's why. And, and then we can move on from this. And I 100 percent am not negative. I think like this is a good Avengers book. I'm very happy with this. I'm happy to follow this team. But there's a certain sense of like, did we need this issue? We could have just had this team. What the all, fuck? all of these people already know each other. Most of them were on the previous version of the team. It's not. It's not this grand well, shakeup. Why? Well, but I, I think we do need this because I think the end of the issue sort of smashes it all with a hammer, and I think you have to set the table before you can flip it over. Exactly. Uh, from a Pete dining situation style. So I, I think prefer, that it is just important. to throw out there not to set the table, then you break less stuff. If you have a bare table and you flip it over, then maybe the table Yeah, but you broken. need something to set to destroy. You can't just destroy something. All right, listen. First off, I'm, who has hurt you guys? You know what I mean? Like, we have been reading comics for years. Why can't we just think, have a I nice number one the issue? And the answer. Well, that's what I'm yeah. saying. You guys are a little too jaded. Like, why can't we just have a nice launch to yeah, a, I'm not a jaded. team I liked that's it. just a solid launch? What's wrong with just getting a team together that is an old crazy team? Like, what? Still, man? Oh, no. Just but, have a solid Avengers team. But let me throw out, who are your curveball Avengers? Like, who would be someone that you would? Because I do think there is value in having that wild card. Um, and if you need a second to think, I'll give you mine. I would have hard partying Tony Stark from the 80s. Like, have your uh, problematic Tony Stark on oh, the team. Not, oh. not like time traveling Tony Stark, but you'd want Tony Stark to Alcoholic rediscover his alcohol. No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. you, you can't do that. It would be a time travel situation. Oh, it's a time travel oh. scenario. Okay. Yeah. All right. There we go. Because then you have – that's the sort of unsettling element, and then you have to find value in that. Uh, like, okay, in the last team, I mean, there was a couple of them that Jason Aaron threw in there. Certainly, like, Jaime Ray's uh, Ghost Rider, I think, is a good choice there for like being like, okay, yeah. and then elevating. I was like, Jaime Ray's Blue Beetle. What are you talking Jaime about? Jaime Ray's – oh, my God. I'm sorry. Robbie Ray's. Uh, yeah. And also, uh, Blade is another character that he was like, really? And then it totally worked in this very oddball sort of way that was a lot of fun. So, Pete – I love this question. 
Who is your oddball Avenger? Uh, you gotta go with the Punisher and a Wolverine. No. I was gonna say it's definitely yeah. Wolverine. I knew it was gonna be Wolverine. <laughs> is, is your favorite Avengers era the new Avengers with Spidey, Wolverine, where they just like yes. only the favorites? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's that like when you go to the ice idea. cream shop. Was Le- that legit? Legit. I wish they would go back to that because that idea that Bendis had of being like. Why isn't the Avengers like the Justice League and we have all the primo number one characters on the team together? And then all of the new Avengers stuff was just like dredged down in a lot of like long form storytelling. I would love to see somebody try to do that again with whoever the number ones are right now. Push it forward jab yeah. it through and make like just some bangers it makes stories. sense it's like going ordering a hot fudge sundae and saying like ice cream no just the fudge no i love <laughs> I'll just that. have a cup of fudge yeah I, that's the that new avengers you, by the way if you they'll do for that cup, for you yeah, yeah. <laughs> what are you an ice cream hack over here yeah just get a cup of they fudge they have to give you the fudge if you it's ask for all fudge it's oh, like man, i gotta get oh. fudge i gotta get, get nuts. i gotta cup? get a maraschino cherry in there that's the wild card man some jimmies uh, that's what i call them instead of sprinkles because i'm crazy like that Let's go. Anyway, Titans number one from DC Comics. This is a big release from DC Comics to match Avengers this week, written by Tom Taylor, art by Nicholas Scott. While the Avengers are revamping themselves in the Marvel Universe, there is no Justice League in the DC Universe. They have disbanded in the wake of Dark Crisis. Instead, Titans are being encouraged to jump up into the wake. And that's what we're getting here is them reestablishing their very stupid looking T-shaped building, moving back into that. At least most of them. And it's a another. newly rebuilt T-shaped hey, hey, building. Hey, don't make fun of the T-shaped building, man. The T-shaped building is legitimately the stupidest design for a building in the history of comics. All right. Well, you know what? You're the stupidest design of a human being in the history of human beings. I'm so not going to disagree that? with that. Most of my body okay. is failing. Why don't we talk about <laughs> this book? What did you guys think about this one? Uh, well, I will say from a T-shaped building perspective, this is the most, uh, this sort of the most successful design. I love the tree growing up the middle. And it's, uh, the T is right? a little bit understated. It's more like a capital I building. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? With stems with arms at the top. Yeah. yeah. It's got little stems. Uh, but but uh, for the book itself, you know, this it's interesting to have these books back to back. This one is a similar, like, let's get this team together and have them fight right. and sort of meet them. We get a little bit more sort of nuanced stuff here. We have a Beast Boy yeah, uh, a in a relish. PDA situation. A little, a, little, uh, a little ship. A little ship happening here. I like this ship. I, I, I felt like this was a fun take. Uh, you got Raven and Beast Boy. You know, everybody is like the Starfire, uh, you know, Robin. But no, no, this is fun. This is fun. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the uh, but I do like the mystery slash tragedy set up at the beginning and end of this book. I thought it was really well mm-hmm. done and like sets them off in a way that feels um, like it's not the stakes aren't as high as it seems, but it's still a good mystery. I, but I will say maybe the thing I'm most excited about, and this is a sideways compliment, with this book becoming Titans, now Nightwing can go back to being Nightwing. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was the big thing well, that I was really curious to check out coming into this book, because right now, Nightwing, great, but it is, like you're saying, it's a Titans book. The whole cast is in there, so I was wondering, okay, how is this going to be any different, given it's the same exact writer? It is different. It very purposely, yeah. like, Nightwing is front and center, he's the leader of the team, he's calling the shots, but it is a full cast book in a very different way, and I really enjoyed that. Pete, take it away. Yeah, I just want to say I I was really close to putting this as uh, my favorite from the week, but I didn't want to be negative because I was just so excited about what's happening here. Let's go off the flash. This is a great fucking idea. I mean, this is just gold. Like, oh, imagine how much greatness this could have. So I do think it was very interesting, if we're going to talk about this, how these two books are structured very similarly. Avengers had a little bit more of getting the team together, but it also, the same thing happens here with the Titans book, where they're not getting the team together. They're already the Titans. They know who's on the team, but there's very much like, we're going to establish everybody one by one as Nightwing kind of like checks in with them. Certainly he's trying to bring some members on the team and they're saying no. Others are saying yes. So there's that get the band back together. And both books end with what is essentially a murder mystery for a major character that vaults them into the main storyline. But what's well, interesting all I was gonna say is oh, Pete's go not going to like this question. Which is more successful? Well, here's Ooh. the thing. I think DC is doing a great job because they're like, hey, we'll use this group book to get rid of the shittier characters, He's which not I dead. think He's is not a brilliant dead. Idea. It is okay. Not dead. I'm sorry. I'm just gonna, no, Pete, I'm going to throw <laughs> this out here. This. I know you're Come partially out. joking. Wally West travels back from the future, dies in front of them, and he's like, solve my murder. Wally yeah. West is still alive in the current time period. So they're going to have uh, Wally West getting in on like the action guy. and solving his own murder and be like, that's weird. My body is there. That puts a ticking time clock on. We don't know yeah. how Wally is going to die, when he's going to die. We need to figure out all of that and save his life. That's a, that's a great idea. What DC is doing is they took the time clock idea from Spawn and they're like, we're just going to have a countdown. Yeah, that's the only time. clock that people love. Yeah. Countdown clocks. Famously, there are no clocks in the Marvel or DC universe until Spawn did it. <laughs> exactly. No time. There's uh, no I, time. I, I mean, there. It's a little bit comparing apples and oranges because thank you. Titans are an established lineup, so it can they can rather than being like, "Hey, Beast Boy, you live in the Big T," and he's like, "Whoa, okay." Like we already know that's about to happen, um, but it, it lets the Titans book sort of explore more character nuance. We also have the addition of Peacemaker here. Um, And I think to your earlier comment, I think Titans is a better number one, but the Avengers book is a better number zero. Mm. Uh, That's ridiculous. They're both great number ones. It's both, it's exciting to see team books and uh, uh, interesting kind of like launches to something we already love. And I think down the road, it'll be interesting to see which one kind of does better and which one falls off. Uh, but also you guys are acting like there isn't a giant tea building in New York city. That's really cool to go visit. You know what I mean? Like a tea building the, is a kind the of a Lipton thing. building, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, it, I don't know. It's in, it's like by central park or something. I it's saw it Lipton one time. Building, yeah. Yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty I crazy. I saw it one time. <laughs> I was real drunk, and then I stumbled across it, and I took like 80 pictures of it because I was like, holy shit, it's the fucking tea, man. I think you uh, fell asleep in a comic book. I <laughs> oh, that could have been it. That could have been it. 
Well, why don't uh, we move to one of your favorite comic books that uh, people shouldn't be sleeping on, uh, right, Pete? Arcade okay. Kings, number one, from Image Comics by Dylan Burnett. This is about a guy with a tomato head who's fighting a bunch of people in an arcade. Hey, dragon fruit, dude. Come on, take it easy. That's the joke. I was setting you up for it. Pete, take it away. Well, first off, this is just old school fun where you got people hanging out in an arcade like we used to do back in the day. What a fun destination. <laughs> We um, just uh, the nostalgia bath that I got from this was very exciting. Uh, But, yeah, this is a really cool idea of somebody uh, playing arcade games. And like there was a line of people ready to fight them. Oh, it's just the action, the art, uh, the writing. It's a very cool, unique book. And uh, I can't wait for more. This is a it's a very exciting time. Um, I knew Pete would love this because of all the reasons uh, that he just said. Um, I will say the the 8-bit uh, font was got me. The Come sort on. of uh, Castlevania, uh, yeah, Mike Tyson's punch-out font that sort of carries us through this book is really fun. Mm-hmm. And I don't quite know what's happening with these characters and what the deal is. Dude, um, but- well, I, I just don't. And like, I think this book does sort of sets a tone, but it doesn't really um, establish a lot of characters here. So I am curious um, if that will come in the next issue. So, yeah, I, I like the general bones of this book. And I think from a design perspective, it's great. Like we've been talking about, it definitely it hits a so lot cool. of those nostalgia feels like giving you a little bit of the whole Neo Tokyo anime mm-hmm. manga mm-hmm. style at the same time. Mm-hmm. So there's Street definitely Fighter a fun mix there. But I agree with you, Justin, in terms of it seems like it has the sense of this conflict, but it's the sort of thing that Daniel Warren Johnson would fix into something that has a real emotional hook for it. Instead, I wasn't necessarily getting that here. So very Yet. curious to still – yet. Yes, I'm very curious to still check out a second issue of it uh, because I didn't like the way it looked, but I wasn't quite hooked as the same way that I wanted to be. It's a little bit like Scott Pilgrim used um, sort of classic video games as a lay-on to tell the emotional story yeah. of these real-world characters, mm-hmm. real people, uh, ostensibly. Mm-hmm. And this is the flip. It's like video game things, and we just haven't got to the real-world characters. Or uh, if it's kind of like what if Mega Man like, was in the real world, and then like people were excited to see Mega Man play video games. You know what I mean? Yeah, that was the main thing. Whenever I was playing Mega Man, I'd be like, oh, man, what if instead of I – Playing the video game. What if Mega Man was playing a video game? I'd oh, lose Mega Man was playing more fun. What if Mega Man I've been, I've been really into Tears of the Kingdom right now, but the one thing that's really holding me back is like I'd rather watch Link play this. Wow, nice! Yeah, like how would, what would up. Link do? Yeah, right. Well, yeah. And what if it was like a less interesting video game that I didn't really get to see all of? Like, what if it was a still comic book page instead? Wow. Yeah. One guy I always wanted to meet is Mega Man. What a chatterbox he must be. Yeah, like, his I'm like, political you get, views, how, though, are you... fucked up. Good yeah. deeds, number one, from IDW. Don't tell you. Don't tell you. Don't tell you. Don't tell you. He was at January 6th. He was at January 6th. Mega Man was there. Dude, go fuck yourself. Samus was there, which was insane. I was like, I couldn't even believe that. I was like, you were working against your own interests, Samus. Stop. Come on. Good Deeds, number one from IDW, written by Jay Grayson, art by Kelsey Ramsey. This is the latest in Scott Snyder's line for IDW, albeit not written by Scott Snyder, obviously. Um, what do you guys think about this book? Well, first off, shouts Scott Snyder feels like someone who's always cultivating comic book talent. And I don't know exactly um, how these creators came together, but like I don't 
uh, know their names. I know that Scott is always like teaching class. I mean, that his students put out that anthology that we had um, on our live show uh, a while back. Isn't that like, how like JT four like started? Kind of with uh, JT four was definitely yeah. a student of Scott's back before yeah. Scott was even like a a big deal comic book uh, writer and creator. So like I love that, and this book feels like it is just like a really interesting uh, story. I think the art's fantastic. Um, into this world of Saint Augustine. Like uh, burnt out, fucked up Florida as the the uh, canvas for these characters um, who have all their own issues going on. Uh, really, I, I like this world. Yeah, I mean, there's some crazy ass shit happening in this issue here with the with the, the ghost, and then I wasn't sure what was happening with uh, when the broom handle kind of gets broken, and then like. Uh, you know, somebody gets stabbed or not, or what's going on. But uh, I'm very interested to see what happens next. Next, I think they did a great job of kind of grabbing the reader and setting things up. Uh, yeah, a lot of crazy shit going down. Love all the action. Some really cool art. Yeah, and, and just to mention about it, this is a crime comic set in Florida that may or may not have some supernatural stuff going on. Is that fair to yes. say? Not 100% right. clear at this point, uh, but good characterizations throughout, I thought, in particular, I'm into this book. I think if you're a fan of Criminal, you might like this stuff, or particularly uh, That Texas Blood, which veers a little more supernatural yeah, that's as cool. Well. Speaking of supernatural stuff, Danny Ketch, Ghost Rider, number one from Marvel, written by Howard Mackey, art by Daniel Pig, uh, Picciotto, perhaps? Ooh, yeah. I'd say. Why not? Anyway, you know what this is. Hell yeah. <laughs> I mean, you do from the title. Uh, this is like, uh, there's been a bunch of, a ton of different takes on Ghost Rider recently. <laughs> this one obviously <laughs> is focusing on Danny Ketch, except also Johnny Blaze shows up. It's a little bit more of an old school Ghost Rider book. Pete, I know you enjoy this sort of thing, so. Yeah, this one yeah. Uh, hit me in the nostalgia hard. It was really just such a kind of fun uh, you know, it's that 80s style motorcycle. I call him 80s Ghost Rider uh, with that motorcycle. Yeah, I just uh, I'm I don't know what it is, but this really has an old school Ghost Rider feel to it. The art style does a great job pulling you in here. You got the flaming chains and the skull and all the fun pen and stare stuff, and uh, it's it's just a lot of uh, great Ghost Rider action. At one point, like breaking two flaming rods and halves and stabbing them in the chest with it. So just great times. I mean, good, good yeah. some fun. I mean, it, it does feel like a comic from the early nineties. Uh, if you're a fan of that, I think this is right over the gate. You got the, the glowing gas cap. It feels a Hell little yeah. bit like, uh, like one, some one of those um, like hour long series from, from the eighties or nineties on TV where it'd be like, uh, this guy just uh, rides a motorcycle and he solves crimes. And you're sort of like, what's happening? And his name's like, I'm Joe Torpedo. I do this. <laughs> Except this guy's name is Ghost Rider. Yeah, his daddy yeah, you should hang out to that uh, Joe Torpedo for one of your characters. Welcome. That's a, yeah, that's a fun character. I'd love to see more of that guy. Great. Well, anyway, Great. like I said, you know what this is. And you definitely know what it is after hearing us talk about it. Let's move on to something you may not you know, know what, what it is, is based on the title Batman, the Brave of the Bold, number one from DC Comics, written by Tom King, Ed Bryson, Christopher Cantwell, and Dan Mora. Art by Mitch Drads, Jeff Spokes, Javier Rodriguez, and Dan Mora. Now, despite the title, only the lead story is about Batman. 
uh, or the backup story, I guess, uh, the last story is also about Batman. But for the most part, it's about other characters as well. This is a ongoing anthology series that is hooked on a new Batman Joker story from Tom King and Mitch Strads. Mm. But there are other things going on in here. What do you think about this one? I, this is, I would, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, this is like a, like, I love anthology series, and this is like a prestige anthology series. It's like great creators for both writers and artists bringing some, like, really, like, strong choice stories to the Batman world. I have been waiting for this title. I'm glad it is as great as I, I wished it to be. Yeah, I, I was um, – sorry, I was just surprised you were uh, allowed to go first there because I put this on my pick of the week as one of my allowed favorites. Allowed so to go first. I was just surprised that you jumped in front of me there because I – Yeah, sorry, a, you, you know, had to go second out of third instead of yeah, first out of yeah, third. Yeah, <laughs> you know, this was uh, one of my top polls, so it, I'm – you know, it was just weird that you got we'll to go first. We'll fix it in post and put you first. Oh, great. Then, Thank you. All right, so I guess yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll cut this out, conversation. We'll no, cut this conversation. Let's cut all this – horrible stuff out anyways uh excited to talk about this thank you alex um yeah we got a collection of stories here just great stuff uh first one really kind of loved all the swearing in it just really pulls you in grabs the reader you know what i mean um and then you get this superman story which oh excuse me uh just by still be still my heart this is a beautiful uh depiction of superman here just some amazing panels just breathtaking like you want to talk about super tight bananas oh wow um i i just the the one where the you know the he above the cloud line with the with the submarine tanker there just so cool yeah um i i was just really and the one where you're going through the water and you can see the symbol on his shirt uh you know his uh, costume there i was just really blown away by it uh, and then, you know, the Heroes of Tomorrow Batman was really cool. I love the black and white stuff. Just it's showing, your guy, Dan Mora. Yeah, just showing off uh, the pencil. You always want to see more of him. Yeah, it just, just great stuff, really leaning into the art. I was just super impressed with all the different stories. And, uh, yeah, if you guys could just keep it down until I'm done, I would really appreciate it. Yeah, uh I, I just felt like it was a fun kind of like evil Avengers kind of like a uh, feel to it with the, with the last story there. That was, uh, it was really cool. I wish there was a little bit more of an organizing principle to this book. I loved wow. all the stories. I'm sorry. I do, but listen, it's no Lazarus planet. I guess that's all. I'd say. <laughs> wow. wow. That's wow. a strong take on this podcast for you to say. Yeah. I mean, I will say, uh, Alex, there's some brave people and there's some mm -hmm. bold people. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. Uh, the title sells it. Yeah. Are you saying you wish it? Because Brave and the Bold traditionally is a Batman and Superman mashup, right? Uh, I, I we got remember. both in here, motherfuckers. Here's, if I, I guess what I am expecting off of this title, Batman colon the Brave and the Bold, is that Batman is involved in everything. Like it's a Batman team up book or something like that, you know? So that's what I'm expecting from the title here versus like DC presents is something mm. that, that's kind of what I'd expect from this or like 
Black Label presents. I know titles are the, almost the least important there, but I do think they frame up what the book is supposed to be about. So why is this bad? The problem movie? you have is the titling. Well, yes. but I will say, Alex, uh, if this book was titled DC Presents, I don't know if it would be as successful. Uh, titling a Batman Brave and the Bold, leading us with a top tier Batman story. The, say that's the Brave. No, we get a bunch of bold on the back. What if the rest of the stories are just like bonuses to a great Batman story? How about oh, yeah, could be. All right. Whatever it is, some... I think we can all agree this sucks balls. Let's move on. <laughs> and talk. Come on, dude. No, dude. This is a really impressive collection of Sorry, stories. Sorry, Pete. Don't... As we established, you made this pick, so you speak first. But that means one of us speaks last. So that's the danger. That's <laughs> the danger. We first. all agree it sucks balls. We all say No, we did not all agree. <laughs> That's bullshit. Yeah. Well, anyway, why don't we move on and talk about Ice Cream Man number 35. Are you actually getting upset? I don't think it sucks balls. It's a no, it's a great, it's great. a great Thank book. I, yeah, I understand also, Alex's sucks point. sucks balls. Why is that a negative expression? That feels pretty good. We can oh, I'm getting God. into a much great different, point. larger great issue, point. perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we shouldn't be uh, negative Alex about Taylor. that. It's a, it's a very solid point. Um, Thank you. Uh, I just think that, um, you know, uh, your bits are undercutting how, uh, how lovely this book is. That's all. Uh, well, anyway, let's move from Batman, the Brave of the Balls, and talk about Ice Cream Man number 35 <laughs> from Image Comics, written by W. Maxwell Prince, art by Martin Barrazzo. I really think Pete's going to quit the show after this one. This book is creative every time out here. We are getting a guy who is writing... Oh my gosh, I should have written down the phrase, but he's creating a book of the most necessary monsters. Necessary monsters, yes. Necessary monsters. And so this vacillates between a guy who is essentially trying to escape from his family in some way while he is writing a book about monsters that we all know from our lives, as well as some of the monsters who have appeared previously in the book Ice Cream Man. Yet another great issue of this book. I mean, just yum, yum, yum. Let me gobble up as many words as uh, W. Maxwell Prince can write down, because I like that we get a lot of text here. It's all like, I mean, we, we've we talked about Ice Cream Man so much, but if we haven't, like, I'm trying to find other ways to rave about this book. But like, if you're a fan of George Saunders, the writer, like this wow. is the comic book George Saunders, um, I think. And it's mm. it, with a horror tinge. Uh, th- it's so good. And this is so good. We get a fun twist at the end. Uh, he keeps finding a way to get us um, on the way out with each of these issues. It's fantastic. Pete? Yeah, I mean, I agree. The uh, This is just continues to be such a banger. It's really impressive that issue after issue, I'm nervously excited to open these books and to read them. It delivers uh, time and time again. I shouldn't be so surprised, but man, um, it's still the greatest. It's such a weird, interesting story. Uh, I'm part weirded out, but intrigued. It's just, it's such, it does such a great job of kind of living in its own little universe and creeping you out, but making you want to read more. Um, uh, it's really impressive what he's doing. And then just the layers of different stuff that's going on. Here's a guy who's avoiding his family, but trying to uh, talk. It's just, it's really impressive. I guess he's the best he is at what he does, bub. This is where it's not even the right. 
Yeah, we're not even talking about Marvel. I don't know. I feel like Justin just made a really good point. Jinx, A Cursed Life, <laughs> number one from Archie Comics, written by Magdalene Visaggio, art by Craig Cermak. In this issue, Jinx is fighting a possessed Jughead. He's going full-on exorcist. Pete, I was very surprised to hear that it seemed like you really liked this one based on the yeah. show. Uh, take it away. Yeah, so we kind of got a, fu- a kind of classic scenario where Archie's like, um, hey, can you, like, uh, fix Jughead? Like, uh, my friend's in trouble. Uh, Jinx comes to the rescue. Uh, Jughead is possessed and really fucked up. So uh, it was kind of, uh, I thought, a really fun, creative take that Archie Comics is doing with their horror line. And uh, I thought it worked well here. I mean, I see why Pete likes it, because Jinx is basically Dark Betty from Riverdale, right? Wow, I, I'd hate it when you see through me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but what a helpful, uh, this is like a free therapy uh, session for you, right? Uh, but this is fun. I well, What's the opposite th- of therapy? Whatever that is, that's what this is for Pete. A podcast? Uh, great stuff put that on that should be the banner of spotify (laughs) Uh, but this is a fun story the back and forth of uh, jinx whether she is the daughter of the devil or not it was a little like uh i guess purposeful purposefully confusing and i wish it was either a secret she was keeping so it could be a little bit more defined or something that we just were knew what was happening rather than it being like an open question throughout the issue. Um, I like this fine. I understand what you're saying here, Justin, but I liked working in Archie and Jughead here. I think we've had some of these titles that like have put the classic Archie comics characters on the back burner or remix them in different weird ways, making this feel like it's part of the whole Riverdale universe. I thought it was very fun. Um, I don't know. I enjoyed these one-shots. I hope they do more ongoings going forward. Agreed. Yeah. Hulk Annual number 1 from Marvel, written by David Peepos and Philip Kennedy Johnson. Art by Kayo Majado and Travel Foreman. In the front story, we're getting a bunch of documentary filmmakers who are trying to track down the Hulk and get their weird, nonsensical movie into Sundance. And in the backup story, we're getting a preview of the new run on the Hulk as Philip Kennedy Johnson and Travel Foreman are taking up with a new horror-inflected take. What did you guys think about this issue? Uh, I liked, uh, you know, the the first, the major part of the annual was uh, sort of a uh, Cloverfield-esque story where, like like you said, a doc team uh, tries to track down the Hulk, yeah. which, like, yeah. I buy that as a premise. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it had, I won't spoil the twist and turn that happened, but, like, this this could be the the basis of like a uh, Hulk short film, so I, I think that really worked. Really excited for the Philip Kennedy Johnson Travel Foreman uh, upcoming series. I think we get. I couldn't help but see the influence of the Aliens work that uh, Philip Kennedy Johnson was doing um, in this mm-hmm. new take. Pete, yeah, what about I th- you? I thought this was fun, uh, the whole kind of like uh, Doc thing, and then Hulk has kind of like a fun thing at the end with it, and uh, like Justin, don't want to spoil that kind of uh, cool moment. But um, yeah, I, I thought this was just, uh, you know, a, a fun kind of one-shot annual thing here where they're also setting up the next Hulk with the uh, the backup story. But it was great to see Mole Man as well and uh, different characters here. So, uh, fun to the, see Mole Man. 
Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, still underground, other... being doing him. Yeah, doing him. You know, being the most. Do you, King? You know, that's what I always say. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I just think it's a uh, it's. It was creative and fun, uh, but also great kind of like setup for uh, stay tuned for what's coming next. I thought this was a super, super smart idea for yeah. the lead story that makes absolutely no sense in the Marvel Universe. Uh, just when you start to like pick it apart and think about it as them being like, we got to get footage of the Hulk. The Hulk has been on the Avengers. There is footage of him. There's a lot of footage of him. People know exactly what he looks like. He's given news conferences. Bruce Banner has done various things. So it doesn't actually make sense in the Marvel Universe, but forgetting about all that and pushing that to the side... Yeah, but that's old footage. They want the new new. Fresh takes. Yeah. Yeah, All I'm saying is, like, if you want to be nitpicky about it, and this was what I was wrestling with, but my brain was reading this, it was like... They don't need this footage. And they're definitely not going to make any sort of movie out about this. This is not going to get into the Sundance Film Festival. But I love the idea of a Cloverfield or Blair Witch found footage type thing with the Hulk. That's great. And I think it was really well executed. So let me ask you, what if you live in the MCU, what yeah. um, hero would you or villain would you want to document? Are you yeah, chasing? exactly. Are you Hot chasing? shot, huh? What's your Sundance pitch, Mister? Uh, oh, this is a horrible well, I, I idea. I wouldn't you, accept I mean, we this mentioned in the Sundance. Issue, but I think the Mole Man is probably a better choice in terms of like. <laughs> yeah, you can get a great documentary. You got to go underground. underground. That's much harder. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, exactly. You, do there's a lot of interview subjects. You can talk to the Moloids, have them do a lot of sit downs. Yeah, yeah. Yes, hello. The lighting's going to be tough, but yeah. other than I, that. This is my hold, and I need to go deeper. Yeah. Moloids, move out of the way. Very, uh, it's a very, and everybody loves the Despicable Me movies. It's basically like that, but a little more serious. No, oh, I'd love a documentary version of Despicable Me. What the hell did you I'd love say? to really see how the minions live. Do you, you think know? Crew of the Minions are based on the Mole Man and the Moloids? Because I think so. Wow. It's a ripoff. That's yeah, why I like the guy. It, it kind of is. Yeah. That's why anytime I see a kid sporting a Minions outfit, I really take him down and I talk about how it's IP they've stolen from yeah. the real Their parents are like, oh, here's another Mole Man truther. Cyborg, <laughs> yeah, number me. one from DC Comics, written by Morgan Hampton, art by Tom Rainey. This is a Cyborg title. What? What did you think about this? I thought this was a solid first ish. I felt like the art set a cool tone for this. I like the look of it. Uh, we got like a look back at the origin story here. A sad kind of dad funeral action. And then kind of the spoilers reveal that we got a robot dad at the end. I thought this was a cool, interesting uh, cyborg take that we don't normally get. You know, we don't get the cyborg dad. So I thought that was a... I thought this was a solid first-ish. I will say I do agree with Pete. We haven't gotten this. I feel like uh, this Cyborg take, I feel like we often get Cyborg and it's very techno-heavy. The art is very, like, slick, clean lines, all that. And this feels a little bit influenced by maybe the Doom Patrol TV series where you have Cyborg. It's a little bit more, like, indie comics feeling. It's a little bit more menacing and less, like, tech sci-fi focused and more, like, uh, cyborg's not dealing with his emotions and then a, a sort of slow it follows style uh, villain enters the fray and we get a little twist at the end. So yeah, this was, this was a surprise for me. I'm not a huge cyborg fan. So this was a fun one. Hey, nice. 
Little Monsters, number 13. You want to say me. anything nice about it before we move on, Alex? No! No, I don't! Little Monsters, he, number 13. Shepherding. Always shepherding us. <laughs> From Image Comics. Written by Jeff Lemire. Art by Dustin Wynn. This is the last issue of this title, I think. As the I Little bet we'll Monster. get more, but yes, I agree. This is the last. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, the Little Monsters, it all comes down to this. I don't know. There's uh, a lot of characters that, uh, to be honest, I've had a hard time keeping track of. I love the art here. Dustin Wynn's art is absolutely gorgeous. Characters are gorgeous. Uh, we definitely get some sad moments here throughout, but uh, uh, there's, there's, uh, this is one, and I feel this with every Jeff Lemire series, one that I'm like, I should really go back and read this thing as a whole because yeah. I lost track of who these characters are over the course of it coming out over the course of 13 months or plus at this point. Um, so good series. I felt a little mixed and a little confused at points. And the finale, I think that's more on me and the way that I read this story than necessarily yeah, the story you. itself. No, I see that, though. Like, I think there's a lot of different uh, – the characters are all doing a lot of different things, and we have this – overarching backstory that we don't quite figure out by the end of it, but the heartfelt moments really hit. There's one sort of two thirds of the way through that was truly upsetting. And then the final little um, twist, light twist at the end, I really enjoyed as well. This like, but like you're saying, this will read as a great trade. Well, yeah. I mean, other than the fact that uh, Alex can't keep track of shit, I thought this was just like, I mean, obviously the 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 art is just unbelievable. It's just oh, so it creates such an amazing world and pulls you right in. Uh, but the little boy writing kind of like notes, I think in a comic book adds such a cool level of tension. And if notes. some creepy kid like walked up to me and showed me a note that says like we have to get out, I would just start fucking running immediately. Uh, so that part was a little frustrating. The fact that no one was paying attention to the notes as much as they should. Good but- note for anyone who works with Pete. If you want to freak him out, get a post-it note and write something cool <laughs> on it. Uh Sure. Thanks for that. Uh, I just think, uh, yeah, this is an amazing uh, talent where unbelievable writer and unbelievable artist. And if they're whatever they're doing, I'm there for it. Maleficent, number one from Dynamite by Sue Lee. Now, I was very pleasantly surprised by the Disney villain Scar title that Dynamite released. So I was curious to see if they could pull it off again with this Maleficent book. I will say... Totally different thing. The Scar book is this ongoing prequel that shows the development of Scar leading up to the beginning of Lion King. This is, I put in quotes, but just a story of Maleficent and a character who's trying to track down Maleficent. But gorgeous art and a really good story that involves Maleficent. So, again, very pleasantly surprised by the series. Well, and it's interesting, Maleficent's a character that um, has been uh, given almost hero status, um, uh, pulled out of the villainy in the two live-action movies starring Angelina Jolie, like, have put her as a, a main character. But this, I think, really harkens back to the original Sleeping Beauty, both in the art style and yes, in dude. the characterization of Maleficent, a movie I really enjoy that I have uh, watched many, many times with my kids again. I watched a lot when I was a kid, so I uh, love all of that. And I would be curious to see like sort of more done in one adventures of Maleficent sort of 
encountering different good, bad uh, situations. Yeah. I mean, you're a kid flexes side. I think I agree. I think that this is just a really great story and a, a great kind of uh a showing of what this character is like kind of in the wild, you know, and we have kind of like somebody who runs up on, uh, on here and, uh, what happens is absolutely fantastic and glorious in all the right ways. And I think it was such a great use of the villain. The scar one for me, uh, just kind of felt like, yay, the lion King. Yeah, we know I, I felt like this did a good job of like pulling them a little bit outside of the, uh, Disney tale that we know and have read a bunch and uh, and kind of put them in a different setting. And I think the art did a great job of, like Justin was saying, where it kind of really hearkened on it, but then twisted it a little bit, made it a little darker and kind of gave it a little bit more of an edge that I really appreciated. I think they did a great job of capturing something we all know and then kind of twisting it and making it a little, a little different. Isn't it crazy how um, Kid Flex used to uh, mail you a kid through the mail, and then eventually you could just stream a kid? Uh, My them? problem is, I would I would order something from them, and then the kid would just like sit there for months, and I'd be like, "Oh my yeah, god, just, I, gotta <laughs> like, I gotta do something with this kid. I know I should." Yeah, anyway, I had that they, Wire season one kid for almost a whole year. Did you hear? Actually, they just sent out the last kid recently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it makes sense. About time. Yeah. Sort of a bad business model, right, Pete? Pete? Fantastic Four, number seven from Marvel, <laughs> written by Ryan North, art by Ivan Coel. This is also the 700th ever issue of Fantastic Four with the legacy numbering. And here we're getting a Doctor Doom story as he tries to fix the mistake that Reed Richards made back before the first issue in terms of specifically sending Valeria Richards away for a year in time in order to keep her safe. This is phenomenal. I have been loving yeah. this run, but this issue dives so deep in such a pointed, specific way into the Doctor Doom Fantastic Four dynamic and particularly Doctor Doom caring about Valeria, which is this unprecedented uh, relationship that Jonathan Hickman set up back in his Hickman, run. Hickman, yeah. That, yeah, yeah. And oh, I love that I that's, love. it's canon, yeah. yeah. It is. So good. And a time travel story, which is like a classic Doctor Doom device as well, told in a completely new and fresh way. I thought this issue was great. Agreed. I love the first half where we're getting a very unique way of taking down the Fantastic Four, the reveal of Doom, and then Doom sort of in a classic way being frustrated by his inability to defeat Reed Richards in a, a way I haven't really seen before by just Reed Richards doing a good job. Uh, but to your point, like, I'd love them to stop a fight in the middle of a fight with Doom and be like, wait a second, you love Valeria, but you hate Reed? They're almost the same. Why do you like her and hate him? Uh, I, I, I feel that way. Um, you hate Reed, but you love. Yeah. Reed. Did answer your questions. Cause Reed's a piece of shit to his wife. Mm. Well, he, in this, he's not in this issue. He's not, he's not, that's not like a canonical thing. The thing he is, is he's classically ignoring her to kind of do stuff. So you tell me what's up. What did you think about this issue though, Pete? I thought it was a great <laughs> issue. I love the Doom stuff. I also loved how, like, they 
the letters for Doom were all that was just really fun, a classic kind of Doom move. Yeah, I you know if you're gonna tell Fantastic Four number seven hundred, you there better be some sweet uh, Doom stuff in there. And I was I was yeah rewarded. Well, in, and in, also, in is this the first time we've met Ad Petunia? I don't want to say that definitely, uh, yes. but I think I, that's so. what I thought. I thought that it's great. That's yeah. great. Yeah. We finally met the things at Petunia. So much fun. That was hysterical. Yeah. And they're staying in the Bertha building, mm-hmm. uh, which is what they renamed Aunt Petunia's cabin, sort of. Mm-hmm. Great stuff. Mm-hmm. Funny. The Vigil, number one, from DC Comics, written by Ram V, art by Lalit Kumar Sharma. This is a Indian super team in the DC universe who's doing some sort of like Black Ops, Tax Force X style stuff. What did you think about this first issue? Well... Uh, they, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say the uh, this was it sold through to us in the Lazarus uh, crossover or uh, a series of events. I guess it makes more sense. Um, and I was like, oh, okay, let, this is interesting. I don't know what this is really about. And I thought this issue really was well above and beyond the the first story we got from them. Great, just espionage. Ramvi's a great writer. Like really thought through uh, moves and great reveals of their powers. You know, we've talked about a a couple issues setting up a team book, and this one is much more like cool about it. The very much like the action is going forward, and we're slowly introducing the characters throughout and their power sets and what what's happening. It feels uh, like a fast-paced espionage book in the, in the DC universe. Yeah, I agree. Uh, they have a really cool covers. This is a solid first-ish. Uh, love the action. Love the art. Cool villain reveal at the end. Excited to check out more. I think that's a great job as a first-issue setting things up, getting getting you excited for the world and everything going on, uh, and then a crazy villain reveal. Dark Ride, number six from Image Comics, written by Joshua Williamson, art by Andre Bresson. This takes place in a haunted theme park where two people are trying to investigate a mystery of exactly what's going on. One of them is the son of the owner of the theme park. The other one, her brother, was killed by the theme park under mysterious circumstances. They've ended up in a massive trash land under the theme park where a dude is trying to kill them. They find out some big information here, and we get an even bigger reveal at the end. I love this book. I have no idea what's going to happen each issue. I don't know how long they can keep this going, but it just keeps expanding outwards in wild ways. Great stuff. My favorite area in Disney World is Trashland. So oh, this really spoke God. to me. Uh, but what do I love you know about the, this book- Do you know the thing about trash cans in Disney World? This is a true fact. The trash cans in Disney World don't actually have trash in them. They have a tube and this is probably where this plot point comes from, where you put the trash in and then it goes to a big area below Disney World where all the trash goes. So right. because Walt, Walt actually invented it back in the day because he was like, I don't want overflowing trash cans anywhere. So that has existed since the beginning of Disney World. He created like these vacuum tubes that suck all the trash in and take it to a place. So there you go. He got his start as a trash mover, and then he just mm-hmm. made a couple doodles, and pretty soon he was a <laughs> fucked up billionaire. Uh, but what I was going to say about this book I is, mean, I the love biggest, most mosquito-filled <laughs> swamp in Florida. I'm going to put a well, theme park there. I, maybe I mentioned this, but like one thing I learned on my recent trip to Disney World is he secretly bought up all the land of Disney World under different company names. And then started building the theme park and was like, ha ha, it's me. <laughs> like, a, like a magician, like a weird magician. 
I'm making trash tubes in Florida, you psychos. And I gotta say, that's why I hope Ron DeSantis takes Disney down, because after everything that's got on... No, I'm what? joking. He's a terrible person. Freeze my head, he said. The but What I was going to say is uh, this book does a great job of bringing <laughs> Pete's like slowly coming in and out of consciousness because we're talking about this <laughs> other stuff. Uh, does a great job of establishing different horror tones. The first uh, part of this book is about like a sort of a seemingly sweet story about a mom uh, connecting with her kids, upset by a horrible illness storyline. Like Joshua Williamson is doing so much at once. I like the sort of shift from um, the son, Sam, from being sort of a villain to maybe our hero as we're getting closer. It's just really smart writing, really great art by uh, Andre Brisson. Like, this is a, a great book. Uh, yeah, this book is uh, way too fucked up for me. Uh, the part where uh, the the trash guy is like licking a trash doll, I was like, nope, uh, no, thank you. Trash doll. Uh, this is a way too creepified for me. Uh, this uh, story is super creative and really fun and twisted in a lot of different ways. It's so twisted, in fact, that it makes it hard to read. But it is enjoyable and uh, like a good horror story. It is pushing in all the right ways to freak you the fuck out. And maybe it'll make you think twice if you go to an amusement park next time and some animal, just uh, one of those workers, just happens to lock eyes with you from across workers? the park. I, yeah, there's that <laughs> one where the, little, the mom's staring at the fucking devil no, guy. No, I just don't think they're called workers. Well, you think go- fuck, you would be consider Goofy a worker? <laughs> yeah, I would consider him an employee hey guys, of we the have fucking amusement park. One of the workers over here. <laughs> so work I work here. I mean, you're yeah. correct. Like technically, you're correct. Absolutely, yeah. it's just a weird terminology. That's I love the idea of though you running a company, Pete, being like, uh, "Who should I hire? This high-powered CFO or Pluto in a top hat? <laughs> both workers." <laughs> I mean, listen, <laughs> you know, they can both do a, an equally effective job if we really want to dive into it. Miss yep. Truesdale and the Doll of Hyperborea, number one from Dark Horse Comics, written by Mike Mignola, art by Jesse Lonergan. This is following a woman who is investigating a Red Sonia type character back in the day and finding out about her reincarnation or just her immortality version. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Um, and then some other stuff happens. I mean, yes, this is another in the Mike Mignola uh, verse where these comics keep coming out and we're like, this, these are fun. These are interesting. It's all Hellboy adjacent, but this one is the closest. I would almost call this, if you're looking for a good Mike Mignola pickup, this is almost Hell Girl. This is Ooh. almost like, uh, it's very close to a lot of the Hellboy tone and style with this, um, with uh, Tess, or sorry, Miss Truesdale. So, like, I think this is um, worth a pickup if you're a Mignola head and you've been waiting to jump in. Yeah, I was really impressed with this. Uh, by the cover, I was like, all right, I think we've all seen this before. But then I was super impressed why the way they handled this kind of gladiator character and the way she was kind of, like, telling her story and, and someone was, like, going to visit her. And instead of it just being about all bloods and gore, it was an interesting kind of origin story, uh, which I thought was very cool about this family who is, uh, you know, uh, all axe people, they work and live in the forest. So, of course, they're going to be very handy with axes, which 
that came in yeah. handy when she became a gladiator. So I thought that was such a cool in and such an interesting start to it that, uh, yeah, I was super impressed. Uh, and I, I felt like this was a great read and uh, excited to read more. The Seasons Have Teeth, number two from Boob Studios, written yeah, by Dan Waters, art by Sebastian Capral. This was a big surprise for me that I probably would have known if I had read any sort of solicitations or anything like that. But we had speculated with the first issue of this that this was a one-shot and wish there were more. Guess what? There are more. In fact, this is a series. Hey, wish came true. Hooray. Uh-oh. What did nah. we have to give up? What did the monkey's paw do this time? Uh-oh. Anyway, this issue is phenomenal. This is following a photographer who is tracking down these giant monstrous seasons. Last issue, we got to see him track down fall, I believe. Spring. And spring, excuse me. Uh, and this issue is summer, which is basically a big fire beast. These are dark, sad, war-inspired issues uh, is essentially what it is, more than like Godzilla monster stuff. Gorgeous art, gorgeous storytelling, unlike anything else that is on the stands right now. Agree completely. Um, This was uh, one of my picks, but I was happy to hear Alex talk about it. Uh, So I, uh, I abdicate my time since Alex has crushed it so much. This is great. Yeah, but you got to go first after uh, Alex set it up. There, so, um, yeah, I think God, that, we are such siblings. We're I such it, siblings. I think the thing is, is like, uh, you know, this is such a cool, uh, creative idea, you know, and uh, Zalvin hates summer. So, you know, this is kind of a cool uh, uh, look at that of like how uh, summer is this fire monster that, you know, uh, just wreaks havoc on your pits. You know what I mean? So I think this is a... You mean uh, armpits? Yeah, yeah. Any kind of pits. Um, I just think that this is such a cool kind of thing. (laughs) Knee pits? You talking knee pits? Real quick. Top three pits. Back your knee pits. pits. You know, I think it's one of those Of course, you got the armpits, you got the knee pits, the butt pits. Those are my top three, I guess. Me too. Uh, why don't we move on and talk about Guardians of the Galaxy number two for Marvel, written by Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly, art by Kev Walker. The Guardians of the Galaxy team is dealing with Grootfall, which is a big fiery Groot who destroys planets. This issue, they're not doing that. What did you guys think about this one? Although they brought it up, though. They did, they did talk mention about it. They did mention yeah, they did. it. Yeah, yeah they're going to so. meet up with their buddy Groot. I mean, this issue felt very much like, what's, when when is the Guardians movie coming out? This is the issue that should come out when the movie comes out, because it feels a bit like the movie. Right? Huh. Well, I mean, it is the Guardians on an adventure, so I guess I could see why you would say that. I, I feel like this is uh, pretty different from the movie, but this is a really great issue. You really get a lot of amazing character moments. It's such a fun team, and writer artists do a great job of kind of like uh, leaning into that. You get some fun characters like Krakeen, who's just this crab-looking guy. Uh, you know, I, I I enjoy the hack out of this, and uh, yeah, the fact that the movie was also amazing uh, didn't hurt. Love the Kev Walker art in this book. Yeah. Like you were saying, Pete, yeah. the character designs are so much fun. I love the weird take on Nebula in particular. Nebula just looks strange and interesting in this book. So yeah. that's great. I was disappointed with almost everything else. And the reason I really? was disappointed with almost everything else, um, I do appreciate, like you're saying, Justin, this does seem like a very clear, hey, if you like the movie, these are similar enough without contradicting anything takes. But... The first issue set up this Western 
on a planet with the Guardians of the Galaxy. It was very specific. It was a one-and-done issue. With the Scrootfall thing, we get that set up. And this, to me, feels like... I don't know, a seventh issue or something like that, where you take a little break mm. from the Groot Fall storyline, maybe take a break from them going to these different planets and dealing with it. Not a second issue at all. The other thing that I throw out there that I forgot to mention with the first issue that really bothered me with the second issue as well, the narration boxes that are clear are driving me insane. Oh, uh, yeah. They have these narration boxes that don't have a backing on them. There's no white behind them. So if the narration is over any sort of black on the page, you can't actually read what's going on properly. That is not good. So yeah. that's all. Not to, not to lap on it too much. I'm glad you guys enjoyed it, but I was very bummed out reading this issue, to be frank. Wow. So Wait a second. I'm paging through this right now to see a time where it was bad. It's right at the beginning, I think. Yeah, like but literally it, the first page. No, I, I can see it perfectly. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about, and I have pretty bad eyesight. Is there white behind the text? It's not in not in the not in the dialogue bubbles, but the narration boxes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. This is a completely different color. It's not clear. Hmm. Maybe I had a weird copy of it. There yeah, you go. I think maybe you just got a, a weird copy because I didn't I didn't I don't have that in mind. That's why I was weird and like yeah, it's a completely different color. It's different colors in all the in all the different panels. It really jumps out. Maybe somebody saw that and corrected it. There um, you go. Could be. But yeah, I never mind. I retracted. I love this issue. Why don't we move on and talk <laughs> about Superboy, the Band of Tomorrow, number two from DC Comics, written by Kenny Porter, art by Janoy Lindsay. Superboy, aka Connor Kent, is on a alien planet being attacked by these f- clones who are superpowered and trying to stop the Dominators who have cloned some other folks. And Superboy is pretty much caught in the middle here. What'd you think about this one? Superboy, I like Superboy as a character. I've always liked, this is the 90s Superboy who has the tactile telekinesis. Uh, A little bit different. He's half um, Kryptonian DNA, half Lex Luthor's DNA, right? So it's an interesting character. I like getting him away from all the other super family in space, dealing with his own stuff. Feels like we're getting into some potential Legionnaires, Legion or Legionnaire style storytelling here. I did think one thing was funny throughout the issue. Uh, he talks about like, ah, my Kryptonian side is getting stronger. I was like, I was thinking like, what is that? What does he mean by that? That'd be like me saying like, ah, yes, my mother's side is paying attention right now. <laughs> like, I don't know if you can sense that. Right. Well, I, I do think that like, you know, knowing a little bit of like, you know, what you're kind of made of, you kind of feel like, oh, this is definitely one parent's kind of uh, ideology or kind of uh, in influencing me. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, maybe. I, I just thought of the idea that you can sense the delineation in your heritage is very funny to me. Well, I, I, I think what you're saying is two different things. I think there is, yeah, it's a weird thing to be like, oh, this is definitely this part of my heritage. But I all do think there is a thing of like when somebody's feeling a certain way, they're like, oh, that's my dad's side of me right now, kind of flaring up. Um, but I, I think this is a lot of fun. I like the cyberpunk kind of uh, Superboy 
kind of look that we have going on here in the feel of this. It also has like a cool Dragon Ball Z feel to it, especially the first couple of panels that uh, I really appreciated. Um, yeah, I just feel like this is a kind of a nostalgia fun for me, and I was just kind of having a, a having a fun '90s '80s kid uh, a moment with this. So I was I was definitely feeling it, I guess, more, but. Uh, I think I like how light this is. You know what I mean? Of the the next issue serves up, bro. Uh, I I don't know. It just got, it feels it very kind of like '90s cartoons to me, and uh, you know uh, I'm here for it. This guy loves nostalgia. You do Elvira yeah. in Monsterland number one. Speaking, Speaking of nostalgia, nostalgia. <laughs> yeah, Dynamite, written by David Avalone. Avalone, that's probably the way you say that. Art by Cuber yeah. Ball. In this, Elvira is being recruited to take down a Uber Dracula who is trying to take out or collect Draculas collect. throughout of TV and movie history. This was a lot more fun than I expected it to be. Right? I, had a, I had a good time. Yeah. <laughs> you did too, Pete? Yeah, I felt like I was like, all right, here we go, Elvira. I I was impressed with just the kind of her one-liners and then the jumping around and kind of making fun of the different Draculas. You got a cool like Keanu whoa moment, um, you know, from interview with a vampire there. So I, I appreciated the jumping around and I felt like it was paced really well for comedy. And uh, even the Sesame Street stuff was great. And I just want to mention before I forget, uh, we got a shout out to a guest on our live show here when she captures Blackula and she says, say hi to Barney, uh, say hi to Rodney for me, Rodney Barnes, who wrote the Blackula book. So cute little yeah. in comics it, thing there. It was funny. And there's another fun in comic reference in an upcoming book we're going to talk about, which I thought was very fun. But in this, like there's a lot of jokes in this and um, mm-hmm. many of them are, are, are pretty good. Uh, mm-hmm. Some of them are less. So I also feel like you have to have a pretty good knowledge of horror, classic horror to really yeah. know what's happening in a lot of this. And I think I got most of the references, but definitely not all of them. You didn't get the hammer time one. No, I got the jokes. I definitely got, but like oh. the uh, Elvira jumps into different movies and, and TV shows, and like it was hard to understand all of them. I think, but I think mm-hmm. that's kind of her thing, right? Like she is yeah. her nostalgia. She has a lot of knowledge there. Um, so, uh, like you're saying, I think if you don't care about that stuff, it's not going to work for you. If you do enjoy it, you might. Mosley, number four from Boob Studios, written by Rob Gilroy, art by Sam Lofty. In this issue, our dude with a hammer who is taking down the robots that have taken over the world is finally teaming up with the rest of his family. They're all together once again by the end of this issue and coming directly for the final robot. What'd you guys think about this one? Final robot. Yeah, I think this is a lot of fun. This continues to be super badass. Uh, I love the art style. I love all the action. Uh, you know, you know, you got a clear villain who's just ripping babies in half. Uh, you can't do that. You can't separate the body and the mind like that. That's just a horrible thing to do. And what a villain thing to do. So I thought that was a really fun uh, kind of thing. But uh, yeah, I love uh, I love the kind of family moments here that you got and uh, them working together to try to save the day. Super nice and touching. And I'm a sucker for like a badass kind of hammer thing. So that was that was all pretty cool. 
Love a hammer, hammer time. Uh, I like the characters in this. I still, the combination of the like sort of uh, Thor style hammer and the techno side of it, I'm still a little not quite uh, getting why these things are meant to come together. The connection's not super strong for me, but like I said, I think these characters are nice and I like the way we focus on the daughter sort of realizing what she has to do in this in this issue. She-Hulk, number 13, from Marvel, written by Rainbow Rowell, art by Andres Genelet and Joe Canones. In this issue, She-Hulk is spending a little more time with the Black Cat-esque but male villain who has been plaguing her the last couple of issues. Also Jack. Also Jack in there. Also Jack, but... Like we predicted, she's kind of into this bad boy. Yeah, take I'm it easy, Dykes. Oh bad boy. Oh my God. Easy. This is, I said this every issue, this is the best romance comic on the stands. Rainbow Rowell knows how to play these strings so well yeah. with this stuff. It's great. A lot of great writing here. I love uh, hanging out. She Hulk's hanging out with Hellcat. They're having like a fancy lunch uh, over the course of this Um Talks about, oh, you're doing that whole rogue gambit thing with uh, with Jack, which I thought was very funny, very true. Um, I like that they know about other characters. Uh, there's a the thing I referenced a minute ago about referencing another comic book writer. The Jennifer Walters description here is uh, She-Hulk, yeah. overworked, on call, hasn't had a day off since Charles, Charles Soule wrote, wrote the book, yeah. which I thought was a fun um, inside baseball ref. But I agree with you. This romance stuff is great. I like that we know what's happening with She-Hulk and she sort of doesn't seem to know it, but is still going through with it. It's just a fun uh, dynamic that we're seeing here. I like I, I like both of these romances. Like, All right, take you see it easy. why she's attracted to this cat burglar guy. Take it easy. But you, you know, Jack's the guy who it feels like they actually do love each other, but there are barriers yeah. to that love. It's just great... Great writing. Well, we got some nudges. We got some very uh, uh, warm and touching nudges in this. The Jack relationship is hard, and this new relationship seems cool, and oh, I'm a thief, and hey, you know, uh, but I don't trust this guy, and I I, Because he's a criminal who fights her. Well, whatever. I, I just think it's one of those things where... Uh, the fact that she goes home to Jack and is still trying on this relationship gives me a lot of hope, you know, and hopefully they can work it out. Hmm. The only Jack I go home to him is Monterey Jack. Cheese. Cheese. Oh, do you mean uh, the character uh, from Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers? Chip and Dale Rescue <laughs> Rangers? Yeah, that's what is I that you We've been, to, uh, we've been in a relationship <laughs> for, for decades now. To be Alex, honest. my lad. <laughs> <laughs> Come Jeez. lay down with me on the sofa. <laughs> I'm just picturing his mustache getting all twirled up. <laughs> Alex, exactly. you all watch Ted Lasso. Uh, Wonder Woman number Zip 700. Get Alex and I a couple of beers. We're having a date, a date night. Uh, we're going to have a date night in. Wonder Woman number 799 from DC Comics, written by Becky Cluder and Michael W. Conrad, art by Aletha Martinez, Mark Morales, Megan Hetrick, Juan Ferreira, Terry Dodson, Rachel Dodson, and Paulina Gattachow. In this issue... Somebody or something is attacking the nightmares of all of Wonder Woman's allies. So we get to see, <coughs> excuse me, a lot of their inner fears as Wonder Woman herself travels through all of their dreamscapes. And we get different art takes on each of yeah. those different looks. 
This is a very fun issue. We've talked a little bit about how bummed we are to see this team going as Tom King and company take over. But what a great next way to issue. See this is next, their last issue, right? This no, I think uh, they've got eight hundred, and then we're kicking it into Tom King's run, right? Oh, one, number oh, one, I could be wrong why, about it. Why wouldn't they start at eight hundred? It would seem like you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Instead of starting at eight hundred one, we should look into that. But point being. Great goodbye tour here yes. with a great issue. What'd you guys think? I really love this. I love the old school look to it, the kind of different styles, the different Wonder Woman throughout the ages kind of feel that you got here that was done so well. I love the cheetah moments of the fight, but she was just mad she wasn't invited to the party. Uh, or picnic, I should say, and then we get the mm-hmm. kind of She-Ra uh, uh, style backup uh, of the Wonder Woman, which is really great. This is a great package. Just love the art style. They've been killing it. Love this team. Sad to see it go, but interested to always get uh, a new take on what someone is going to kind of do with this character. So excited to see what's going to happen. But man, had a great time with this team. They did a great job on Wonder Woman. Left it in a great place. Uh, you're right, Alex. They do one more issue, and then Tom King takes over at number one. Okay. Uh, the relaunch. Uh, but I will say, I, I also thought this was great. I have loved their run on this. The Steve Trevor, Wonder Woman kiss uh, oh, come section on. was so really, really great. Really great art in that moment. Though so uh, I will say, were Dotsons. you feeling like a little bit of the heat between Steve Trevor and uh, Siggy? Def? Def? Right? I don't know. And... Uh, I wonder in if their run could, I mean, we'll see what happens in the next issue, but if their run continued, I feel like there's, there's definitely some thruple energy between mm-hmm. those three. So like, I wonder if it would have gotten there or it will get there. I, when Tom King takes over, we're going to get 12 issues of slowly leading up to that thruple and we're never going to see it. <laughs> yeah. The Vampire Last Slayer number 14 for Boob Studios written by Sarah Gailey, art by Kath Lobo in this We've got the Slayer, and uh, Faith is with her, right? As well as Spike are tracking down Spike's old girlfriend, Drusilla, who has come to town and has made her way into the bronze. I know I'm the one who's most into the tag for this, but I continue to love this series. I think the humor is on point. The characterization is on point. We're really heading to the end of this particular series, and they're making it go out in style. I also love the design that Kath Lobo has for Drusilla. It's just a really iconic entrance there, and that's exactly what you need. You're tanked, Alex. You're tanked for this. I'm tanked. As always. Um, I do, like, I'm not a big Buffy person, but I've been enjoying the spike focus in these last couple issues. Or I guess another issue um, in the same sort of family of comics that we read uh, last week or two weeks ago. Um, so th- that's been cool, and... Uh, I, the buildup of Drusilla and coming for them, I think, is going to be a fun confrontation. Yeah, I just have my notes. See uh, what Alex says because he's really into this. <laughs> there we go. See well, Alex. <laughs> see Alex. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, let's see what you guys think of Planet of the Apes, number two from Marvel, written by David F. Walker, art by Dave Wachter. In a swerve, I think, for the first issue, which was slowly working up towards this tale about one timeline from Planet of the Apes before the whole uh, ape apocalypse, apocalypse, if you will. Mm. Yeah. In this issue, we're jumping around again and we're getting a bunch of different tales throughout the Planet of the Apes. What do you think about this one? Great. 
Sounds good. Why don't we move uh, on to no, no, no. no. Uh, this this is fun. The um, I actually like the backup a little bit more than the the main story, which is detailing the rise of Pug, um, who starts wielding a stop sign like an axe um, and rises up. Uh, this whole series feels like a little bit like World War Z, where we're slowly mm-hmm. getting sort of little pe- bits and pieces of the build up to the Planet of the Apes. Uh, timeline and I like that. I sort of wish this was more of an anthology series. Mm-hmm. Pete, yeah, I'm still a little heartbroken over the fact that on my birthday, someone would rather see a Planet of the Apes movie oh than God. hang out with me. Oh but uh, yeah, I, I've never been. A, I don't like Planet of the Apes. I never have. So great Why? art, great art. Why don't you like the Planet of the Apes? Is it I, the apes or the planet? It's Something more of the planet than the apes, you know what I mean? Mm, yeah. But yeah, it's a lot of both. Here's here's oh, a huge twist for you. you watch- this is this is a spoiler, it, but it's actually aired the whole time. Yes. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I no. say, did you watch till the end? Because it, <laughs> it reveals something oh, that I man. Yeah. He he started walking towards that beach and I was like, I don't know, I've seen beaches before. Yeah, I'll turn I've it seen off. beaches. Yeah. I'll There's turn beaches it off. on all sorts of yeah. planets. Yeah. yeah. You should read the re- the original book. It's about more about how time uh, works with space travel. Oh, so there's okay, very cool, cool. there's not a ton of planet, not a ton of apes for a lot mm, of it. There you go. Mm, mm. Superman number four from DC Comics, written by Joshua Williamson, art by Jamal Campbell and Nick Dragoda. In this issue, we're considering the partnership of Lex Luthor and Superman as they try to figure out the folks from Lex Luthor's past who are plaguing Metropolis. Uh, There is a big attack by Banshee in this issue has been amped up by these new villains. We get a surprising twist in terms of Lex Luthor's past. And then those flashback sequences in particular are told through Nick Dragoda's art. So Ugh. good. Love Nick Trigona. Love Jamal Campbell. I love the horror-inflected take on the Superman world that Joshua Williamson is writing here. I'm loving this book. I just feel like there's there's such a great one-two punch with the main Superman titles right now, where the other book is so like family-focused, like big world, all of that. And this is such a specific take. The horror of Superman and Lex Luthor having to work together is just top. And then we get into the Art is very horror-influenced, Joshua Williamson, obviously, into horror and all of that. And getting Nick Dragota in here, like, it's just such a different flavor, and I think they work so well together. Yeah, this is a little harder for me. I I don't... um... I don't like Superman working with Lex Luthor. I feel like Lex Luthor is like playing Superman and that bothers me. I mean, the you know, we have Lex that Luthor. That is his thing. Yeah. Yeah, it is his thing. Uh, we have Lex Luthor kind of pulling a uh, bullseye from the Daredevil movie where he's, you know, shooting a, a peanut. Uh, it was an acorn nut into a dude's mouth. Um, so I, and then Superman's like scolding him for it. Like, you shouldn't do that. Uh, I, yeah, I, I feel like this is an amazing team and I'm excited to see where this is going to go. And you got a lot of big pharma in this, but other than that, uh, I'm excited to see what's going to happen next. Pete is saying big pharma. He means literally people with enormous pills for heads. That's right. Yep. Yeah. That's so a big literal, pharma literal big, big pharma, pharma bro. Yes. If you're into it, they're, they're all over this issue. Mm-hmm. Why don't we move on and talk about House of Slaughter, number 15 from Boom Studios, written by Tate Bromble, art by Antonio Fuso, picking up from what at least Pete and I call the best issue of the series so far. Jace Busher wow. has been tortured and basically left for dead by the other members of the House of Slaughter. In this issue, he tries to fight back, 
spoiler, doesn't go that well. And by doesn't the way, go well. Jason, no, come on, even man. more horribly or worse by the end of this issue. I I went from being like interested in this and liking this to absolutely loving this in the last two issues. Wow. I, I agree. Like really focusing in on the character uh, and just great fight sequences, really feeling riding along with our, with Jace, uh, JC and really feeling everything that's going on here. Really good stuff. Uh, I've been a fan since the beginning, continue to be an amazing fan. I'm not just wow. going to fall in and out of love like you a-holes, but I think this is an amazing issue. You're kind of riding with Jay series, having a hard time. You know, it's really rough when the dude you're trying to save is like, yeah, guess what? I'm with these assholes. You're like, no, you know, uh, really, uh, really gets you in the feels. But yeah, I mean, you want to talk about super type bananas art. I mean, this is just, Oh, I'd love to. Let's talk about super type bananas art. Go ahead. Pete. I mean, uh, say this art, I mean, there's tight bananas and then there's super tight bananas. Mm-hmm. And this art is just, it's, it's just unbelievable. Great. What I mean, else just, would you like to say about it? What else would you like to talk about with super tight bananas art? Just I, I just think that the way that they kind of pull you in, you know what I mean? The with bananas. The art and just, and uh, uh, the way it's just kind of like, uh, like the they panel pull layouts. the bananas, like they squeeze them so they're yeah, tight. tight. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah that's great. Yeah. Oh, I love man. super tight, by the way. Thank you for yeah, the, me too. Oh, thank, you. thank you for the prompt. Yeah, no super tight bananas expialidocious is, um, I think, where we're <laughs> heading, right? Yes. Yep. I think Predator, that's where Predator number three from Marvel, written by Ed Bryson, art by Netho Diaz. In this issue, we have a bunch of folks who are in a Predator preserve on an alien planet. They're all from different time periods, including the character that we followed in the first Marvel Predator series. She, <coughs> she excuse me. Don't die, dude. We need <laughs> you to get through this. Uh-oh. Don't die until after the podcast. So the predator will never get me. Um, the predator will be like, oh, that guy's very sickly. I don't yeah. need to hunt him. The uh, She had her Smart arm chopped off last issue. That doesn't get better in this issue. Uh, as the predator, get uh, I mean, it doesn't. You, they're in a sci fi world. I don't know. It's they can plug go another arm, yeah. or, arm yeah. or whatever. No, they do that. Yeah. Yeah. Jace put it like a, a little axe on his stub. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, got to work. Yeah. Uh, the I That's like what the, the AMC in- Stubbs program is about, right? <laughs> wow. wow, wow, wow! Did you just get bored and kind of had a? That was a weird moment. But yeah, uh, at the end of every you. episode of this show, Alex tries to get canceled and did. <laughs> and this is today's. Uh, what I like about this is in this big group we have sort of our superhero uh, predator hunter. Right. right. Uh, the the predators are sort of more uh, muted. There's less like one supervillain. There's just a bunch of them that are defeatable. And we've elevated um, uh, our main now, uh, what's her name? Theta, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's doing the, the the fighting. She's the hero. and But then everyone underneath her is starting to um, fight with each other to get their own ends met. So it's the hierarchy of this is really starting to work and makes it easier to read and understand what's happening. Yeah, I think this is a fun issue. Uh, things are getting uh, better in some aspects and horrible in others. But, man, I'm... Uh, I'm loving uh, the stakes and everything that's happening here. It's a it's a great exploration of the predator world in such a cool way. I'm enjoying it. Earth Divers number seven from IDW, written by Stephen Graham Jones, art by Ricardo Bercielli. The first six issues of the series followed a plan to kill Columbus 
to change the fate of America. They're actually successful, and they seem to be setting up at the end here that the next stage was going to be trying to kill Ben Franklin. Uh, instead, this takes us back to the Ice Age with a new group of characters, which frankly was a swerve that took me almost the entire issue to recover from. Uh, curious if you guys felt the same. I Wait, the swerve of going said, to the Ice Age? Benjamin Franklin, Franklin, and then you said frankly. That was really just one Benjamin thing. Franklin? Yeah. Yeah, he used to say that all the time. He was like, Benjamin, frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. People were like, we don't know what you're referencing yet. We don't get that. Very sassy. And he's like, Gone with the Wind is a big movie. I'm a time traveler, too. Anyway, uh, yeah, it took me a while to figure out because I was like, I was expecting us to pick up with the same characters and situations that follow this. Instead, we go in an entirely different direction here. So I like the new direction. And honestly, this uh, this has a more propulsive pace to it. And I think it's going to move a little bit faster with the Kill Columbus. I felt like it was a little bit like mired in the we, we, we landed in there and it was like, all right, it's time to kill Columbus issue one. And then it like sort of spun a little bit on that. And this feels like uh, we're just punching through in a good way. Um, I'm curious for this uh, run to continue. Yeah, I'm having a blast with this. I love the art. I love the intensity. Love all the action. This uh, we kind of get a uh, cave person here as they uh, you know defeat a, a tiger and then kind of wear the skin as their kind of battle armor, which was super badass. So I very much enjoyed that. Yeah, I was a little discombobulated about how this fits in, but I was having too much fun to give a shit. The <laughs> art, the art is very good. I think, like yes, you were saying, the art is right very propulsive. Is. There's good action scenes throughout. If you're looking for a good Ice Age fight book, which everybody is, this is what you should check out. Exactly. Yeah, no. If you love the everybody Ice Age movies is. but want more fighting and everybody. stabbing, if you're like, I want to beat the shit out of Scrat, this is the book for you. Woo-hoo. Captain America: Sentinel of Liberty, number twelve from Marvel, written by Colin Kelly and Jackson Lansing, art by Alina F. Arafeva. I should really read these names in advance, guys. I'm sorry. Yeah. Anyway, this is continuing the Cold War crossover with the other Captain America book as a bunch of things happen in the Captain America world. Plot moves forward and characters change in really big and different ways. What do you guys think about this? <laughs> nice. Great assessment. Are uh, you Thanks. okay? Uh, are you dying inside? Um, yeah, I think this good continues to be such a great time. I love the action in this comic. This is a great team of artists and writers uh, or artists and writer. Uh, yeah, I, I'm continually impressed by this and looking forward to what's going to happen. Really like the Bucky Black Widow fight that we got in this. Uh, yeah. Thank you more, please. I really, I've been enjoying this crossover as well. Um, I do like that we got some backstory on Captain America and his son because he was established. I was like, I need to learn more about this. And like, it feels like Bucky is also that. And this story is about Bucky sort of becoming a villain potentially. So well, not I, I Captain wanna, Bucky O'Hare. Very different. Uh, okay, true. Cool. Uh, and you get paid every time you say that, right? That's uh, right. The, the, I do think that the track of this son that Captain, Captain America raised in this other dimension, colliding him with Bucky feels like something important, or the revolution as he's known now. So I'm looking forward to that. It feels like that's where we're headed. But I like this team fighting. I like uh, Sharon has a nice kick-ass moment here. And, Hell yeah. Uh, uh, it's fun. So like, let's see where we go. 
Last but not least, Drowse, written by Frank Verano and Nick Klinger, art by Jamie Huxtable. This is available online for free. You can check it out, I believe, the first three issues right now. And this is basically a noir book that veers into sci-fi by the end of the first issue. Um, I I was very pleasantly surprised with this. I really like the art in particular. Um, I thought yeah. it was very propulsive and interesting. Um, I'm completely forgetting the reference. There was somebody that I was thinking of while I was reading it the entire time. I'll take a look at it again, but you guys talk about what you thought about it. Well, whoever wants to take it away, Pete, you go first. Oh, thank you. Uh, Thank you for setting me up for that. Uh, Yeah, I'm a this was like four panels and it's like I'm here to, uh, you know, wreck the world. So I was like, all right. Uh, (laughs) The the art reminds me a little bit of Sean Phillips, um, uh, who does a lot of the criminal stuff, who does all the criminal stuff. And I really like this world. Like it has, uh, has like a, uh, a spare. Like we talk a lot about, um, a lot of like image books that the storytelling can be a little bit spare and this has it, but there's a lot of like story happening underneath. I like the way the sci-fi elements are, are moved in and there's sort of like a political drive to the second issue. Uh, it feels like a lot of elements are coming together over the course of this and, it's dark, moody. I, I I really like this, and it's free. Yeah, I was going to say uh, Matt Kent. Matt Kent is who is. Oh, nice. okay. Yes, yes, yes. I I apologize. I relooked on my phone, and it didn't finish um, downloading. All I got was the chapter. No, uh, no, we we figured that out. But oh, okay. <laughs> my apologies. I didn't realize that. Uh, I thought it was just. Panels. Yeah, I thought it was more Mm -hmm. than... uh... So if you are interested in checking it out, there's not just only more than four panels. There's actually three full issues you can check out for free online. They're all very good, like we're talking about. It is this sci-fi, inflected, detective-ish story. I also love the dog. Let me throw this out. There's actually four chapters, which end up being five uh, issues. um, Oh, my God. We're all so terrible in, at this. In both of your faces. No, I read <laughs> yeah. all of this. And uh, it's great. Great. There you go. Drowse the comic. You can check it out. Uh, really good stuff and free. And if you'd like to support this podcast and all the podcasts we do for our discombobulated takes of things we didn't read, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Facebook and YouTube. Come hang out. We'd love to talk to you about comic books or find out how many issues they are or anything. We'd love for you to tell us, to be perfectly honest. iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe, listen, and follow the show at Comic Book Live on Twitter. Comic Book Book Club Live on TikTok and Instagram, comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, we'll see you at the comic book shop where we're trying to just figure everything out. Yeah, I guess you, you take the books off and you open them from the, oh, the right yeah. side. That makes okay. so much more okay. sense. Okay, that, that solves a lot of my problems. Yeah. <laughs>